First, we come to the letters of John, 1 John 4, beginning in verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence at the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Love has no fear. And perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not yet made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And now this is from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. For many years, one of the most respected preachers and sought-after speakers in Dallas, Texas, and even across the nation, was a man named uh, Dr. Zan Holmes. But his dog, not so much. His dog was so out of control and so hyper that Zan said they feared the dog ever getting loose. And the dog was excellent at digging. The dog could jump. The dog was a regular Houdini. And so they finally devised a method to try to keep the dog somewhat under control, but yet allow the dog exercise. They made a runner, a large wire runner in, in the backyard in the, in the form of a big loop or a big circle. And so, uh, so the dog could get some exercise. They would take the dog and, and attach him to the runner and he could run around in circles to his heart's content. But one day their worst fears were realized. A grandchild left the door open. The dog escaped. The holy terror was loose on the streets of Dallas. And so some uh, people went out the front door and went right to look for the dog. Some people went out the front door and went left to look for the dog. And they couldn't find the dog anywhere. No telling what the dog had gotten into. And then suddenly a grandchild called from the backyard and said, I found him. And so they went back to the backyard and there was this dog running off the runner and off the leash, but in the very same circles, running round and round and round. I tell you that story because that is my experience, that I continue to run in the same circles in my life. Though I am free, though I am without restraint, I run in the same circles of guilt, of fear, of worry. And I know that is not as God intended it. God declared us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, Paul said, there is freedom. And I know that traditionally we ascribe a lot of work to the Holy Spirit, but two of the main things the Holy Spirit does in our life is, first of all, convict us of our sin so that we know that we need a Savior and that we will repent and therefore be free uh, from uh, the penalty for sin. And, and so there's a freedom that comes in recognizing that. And then according to Paul in the letter to Romans and in the Galatians, the other thing the Holy Spirit does is remind us that we are sons and daughters of God. So that not only are we free from penalty, but we have the whole free reign of the house. We have whole free access to the inheritance and all the gifts of God. We are free. And then John seems to echo that opinion in our scripture this morning when he tells us that we can be free from fear, that perfect love casts out fear. You know, the way I used to for years read that verse was as an evaluative tool in my life to say, if I'm acting in fear, then I'm not being very loving. 
And so it was kind of a way to judge my behavior. Oh, I'm acting fearful, so I'm not acting loving in this situation. But I've begun to see it a little bit more as, as, um, as talk about a cause, and that is I tend to act fearful because I don't really experience myself as being loved. I tend to let fear reign in my life when I'm not in touch with the fact that I am a beloved son or daughter of God. I've learned to read this so much differently. And then John goes on to say, we love before because God first loved us. I used to read it like this, which is, okay, God loves me, so I, I better go out and love others. I mean, I, I better do this. You know, God did it for me. I need to do it for them. And I think that's really... For me, not the most helpful way to read it. The most helpful way to read it is that until I'm in touch with the fact that I am deeply loved and deeply valued and deeply accepted, until those things happen, I will not truly love other people. Any love that I have that comes apart from my acceptance and my value in Christ as a beloved son will almost of necessity be selfish. I'll be looking for something for me in this exchange of love. But as I am in touch and grounded and grounded in the reality that I am beloved, I'm accepted, I'm valuable, then I more freely love and fear can begin to fade from the picture. I believe that we are loose in the neighborhood without restraint, that we are free. And so my question is, will we run in the same old circles? And my hope and belief is that I can move to a point where I will become more free from guilt. Now, first of all, let me, let me say something, that there is such a thing as healthy guilt. There is such a thing as I do something wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts me of doing that wrong, and then I ask for forgiveness both from God and from the person that I've hurt, and I work to make that right. If that's a healthy guilt. That's appropriate. But there's an unhealthy guilt that says I've done something ba- wrong, so I must be a terrible person. Is, uh, remember the phrases that, that Ginger read off, you know, I'm, I'm not worth anything, I'm a ripoff, I, there's no value in me. That's unhealthy guilt. Dr. Brene Brown calls that shame. The sense that I really am not valuable, I'm not worth loving, and I really don't have a place in this world. Now, that kind of guilt is not helpful. That kind of guilt enslaves us. Remember what the late Irma Bombeck said about this kind of guilt? She said, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And that's true. Unhealthy guilt continues to feed our lives, continues to restrain us, continues to have us sit behind that closed door. And though we are free, we do not act free. I believe that when we truly live in to the fact that we are beloved, we are valuable, that we are a part of God's family, that guilt loses its power to control us. Because we realize that there's nothing we can do or fail to do that ever makes us lose our connection, our place in God's family. I'm, I am a, a child of parents, and I'm also a parent of children. And I want to tell you that you don't even have to be a great parent, but just... A decent parent recognizes that even if the child does something wrong, they don't lose their place in the family because they did something wrong. On more than one occasion, I know I didn't do what my parents hoped I would do, but I was never not their son. And occasionally my kids might have done what what I wish they wouldn't do. But they never lost their standing 
their connection, their value in my eyes. They will always be my sons. Guilt cannot operate in your life because there's nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God and Christ. Nothing help, Nothing will cause you to lose that standing. So fretting over that or believing that you're beyond help or hope is, is at direct contradiction with what God and uh, through the Holy Spirit is saying about you. So I believe we can be more free from guilt. I believe uh, from the past, I believe we can be more free from fear in the present. One of the things that often happens is that in the present, I can be fearful of rejection or criticism or failure because somehow if those things happen in my life, then I draw the conclusion that I'm not valuable, that I'm not worthwhile, that there's not really a place for me in this world unless I make it. And one of the things we've learned is that God clearly says that that's not true, that I always have a place, that I'm always valued that I'm always accepted. And so I've come to value more than anything else in my life, courage. Courage, which is to say on a given, every given day, what God is asking me to say and to do the things that God's asking me to do, whether or not people love it, whether or not they applaud, whether or not they're happy. I've realized that more valuable to me than success or popularity is simply courage and daring just to dare to be the person that God has made me to be. And I can do that because if I'm rejected, if I fail, my place in the house is secure. And you know as well as I do that failure is just way overrated. Rarely, except in a few medical cases and and maybe military cases, is failure fatal. Oftentimes it opens the door to greater things. I mean, think about this. Napoleon, a class of 43, finished 42nd. Second grade, Churchill failed it. Thomas Edison, 10,000 different attempts to make a light bulb. Each time failure brought him closer. Failure often can teach us wonderful things. And so now when, when I act in life, it's not whether I think I've got a chance to succeed or not. The question is, is God asking me to do this or not? Is this the loving thing to do? And if it is, I'm going to dare it. I'm going to encourage it because I'd rather have courage than success any day. Because I already have a place. It's not exactly that I'm losing my, my, my place in the house is secure. Nothing changes that. So I just want to live authentically. And I believe we can, we can all do that. We can move toward being more free from fear in, in the present moment. And I believe we can all move to be more free from worry. About the future. You know worry is pretty fruitless anyway. I, the only good use I can think of wor- for worry is something a friend of mine told me this week. He said, you know, I really need to worry about more things because most everything I worry about never happens. Yeah. What, what the statistics, maybe 80% of what we worry about never comes. Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add a single day to your life? How can you add anything? I think we could probably prove scientifically that the more we worry, the more we actually lose from our life. Not just in quantity of days, but in quality of the days. And and worry, I think, has to do with uncertainty of the future. And all I want to tell you is, yeah, the near-term future is uncertain, but the long-term future is extremely secure. This is what John said. John said, 
We are made, uh, this is how we are made complete in love. We have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Jesus. One of the ways to think of it is when, when God evaluates the kind of life that we've lived, one that in, in Christ, what God puts the picture on our life is Jesus and sees Jesus and all that we do. I mean, basically, we know the end of the game, we win. We live with a confident future. I mean, could you imagine if you knew how the movie ended? If you knew how the season came out? Maybe your team could even lose one game and still make it to the title. How much different would it be, would you feel during that one game which was going against you? They say Martin Luther had only two days on his calendar. This day, which is today, and that day, which is that day when we are face to face and God offers the judgment of which we are so confident. And what Luther figured out is I have to live from the future backwards. I know the end of the story. I know how this comes out. I know I have a place and work it back into my life. And because, because I know ultimately it works out, then I can be all right in all the in-between. Did you read that um, article in the paper in the religious section yesterday which says pastors need to quit worrying about Sunday morning because nobody comes anyway? Did you read that? They said we need to spend more time blogging or getting online and uh, and they compared it to a guy that got so proficient with his um, desktop PC, and then all of a sudden, it all changed. And he said, you know, pastors that way about church, they got so proficient about Sunday morning, and then it's gone. Well, you know, that could cause you to worry. I don't worry so much for me. I'm kind of used to it. But I have a son called into ministry. You know, I, I could give in to worry. But I I know for all I don't know about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I do know hundreds and thousands of years down the line. I know how it comes out. And he needs to live his life from that point backward. And so do I. I believe that we can live more free from guilt for the past, fear in the present, and worry about the future. But my experience of myself... And others is that we don't always do that. If, if freedom is so wonderful and guilt and fear and worry is so debilitating, why don't we walk into that? Well, I'm, I just think you need to know it's real hard. Freedom is actually very hard. You know, when you're sitting in a chair and the door's been closed on you so long, or you've imagined that door closed, when the door opens and all the guards go home for the day, it takes a lot of courage to get out of that chair and walk out of that prison. It's so second nature to us to feel guilty. It's so second nature to be fearful. It's so second nature to worry that any other sort of life just makes us seem like we're naked. We're starting over again from the womb. So please do not let me underestimate for you how hard it is to live freely. But it can be done. Part of the difficulty with living freely, I think, is this. And that is when you're free, you're therefore responsible. You know, when I was imprisoned by guilt, fear, and worry, I was also imprisoned by blame. And so I could uh, blame the mortgage company that made loans they should have never made. Could blame the people attending my church. Could blame my parents. Could blame, you name it. There's somebody to blame. But if you're free, there's no blame. 
If you're free, there's only responsibility. I'm free. What am I going to do with it? It's a harder way to live. You know, victimhood has all sorts of advantages. Nobody holds you responsible. Yeah, victimhood seems to people a way out of prison, but what victimhood actually does is it puts you in prison, closes the door, and throws away the key. A key that's really in your hand because you're free. So know that it's difficult because we're so used to it another way. But also know this, it doesn't happen immediately. If you decide to pray to God and, and say, God, I know who I am. I know who you made me to be. I'm going to be free. I'm a, it, it won't change immediately. The Holy Spirit in Scripture and in life changes people deeply and quickly on occasion. But I think the more normal pattern I've seen is that the Holy Spirit works with us so that deep changes take time. And we have to work with the Holy Spirit to become who God wanted us to be. There's a beautiful sentence um, in what Paul wrote to Corinthians that I didn't give you. It's, you know, where this, the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And then the next verse over, verse 18, it says, in the old version translation, we are being changed from glory into glory. I love the newer translation. I think it gets at what Paul means. It says, we are changed by degree. We are not instantaneously completely free, but we are more free than we were last year. And God willing, next year, we'll be more free than we are this year. I do not claim to be perfectly free. I claim to be moving in that direction, and I'm not going to give up. Elie Wiesel, of course, the Holocaust Auschwitz survivor, wrote Night and and other uh, wonderful works, uh, talks about the fact that at one time in the late 19th century, two very famous people lived in Vienna at the same time. One was Dr. Sigmund Freud, uh, the father of modern psychoanalysis. And the other was Dr. Theodor Herzl, who was the father of Zionism or the idea for a Jewish state. In 1895, he wrote about his dream that one day Israel would become a nation and people could return there. He is the father, really, of the modern state of Israel. And that was his dream. And Vizel said, according to his research and what he found out, is there was a time in the late 19th century that Sigmund Freud and Theodor Herzl actually lived on the same street. But he said there's no evidence that they ever met or knew each other. He said, could you imagine what that would have been like? They met each other, and Dr. Herzl says, I have a dream. I've been having these dreams of a, of a free Israel and an estate for the Jews, and we can live in freedom and begin to control our own destiny. And Freud would say, ah, come to my office, lay on the couch, tell me your dreams, and I'll cure you of them. And he said, I am so glad they never met. Because there are some dreams of which we should never be cured. One of those dreams for me is freedom. Freedom.